Welcome to Game Changers Live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera. I'm your host. And each and every week, we bring you someone who has been a game changer in their field and who's touched the lives of thousands to get their perspective on their journey, their mindset, their struggles and successes so that we can inspire you on your journey. So let's get started right now. Welcome Game Changers live from Miami, Florida. My name is Sergio Tijera, your host. You can catch us each and every week on your favorite podcast channel. We're coming to you live from our home studio at Florida International University's College of Communications, Architecture and the Arts. So thank you so much for joining us. We have our guest today is Alex Mijares. Alex, welcome, buddy. So Alex is a local artist. He's he's a uh, an Instagram sensation with over three hundred thousand followers. You need to tell me how to get my Instagram following <laughs> up, bro. I, I think I need abs like you or something, but some, something needs to happen here. But um, Alex's art is is a game changer. It's very very unique. If you haven't seen it yet, so we're gonna get into that. Get into his story, how he got into the arts, and uh, and 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 now he has a, a brand new baby right now that he's very proud of. You can see him. Uh, on on instagram as well so brother welcome to the show thank you for having me all right man so listen tell me tell me a little bit about your story because you're i, I love seeing your art because it's it's very very unique it's very um very much a a style of your own how did you get into art to begin with i mean were you always uh an artist in in your mind or or what how was it growing up for you so it's Kind of a long story and a short story at the same time. So um, as a kid, I always doodled. I doodled in all my books, doodled in everything. And a lot of times I'd be in school and, you know, I just I had no clue what the teacher was talking about. Um, you know, when I was in middle school, they didn't really know too much about like learning disabilities and whatnot and i guess i had add so when i lost focus on what the teacher was saying because i didn't know what was going on i would just turn to my books and i would literally just doodle in my notebooks or just you know basically deface my entire like history book you know i would just yeah, <laughs> yeah. Go over it and um so i did that for a long time and a lot of times teachers thought that i was disrupting class because i was you know dueling all the kids would be looking to see what i was drawing because I was pretty good at it as, you know, a young kid with no education in art. And um, I would literally just draw the back of my the classroom. I draw what I see. And um, so then I would get thrown out of the classroom and I would just be outside in the hallway <laughs> doodling even more. So that's why my like basic grammar and math is horrible because, you know, I lived in a hallway as opposed to being taught. Um, <laughs> so then you fast forward a while. Uh, and, you know, you get into the high school era and during high school, you know, it was more of like doing like graffiti and stuff like that. And, you know, just dumb kid stuff. And um, then after high school, I kind of dropped it. You know, I just I, I stopped doodling. It was always just doodles and, and sketches and, and tags and whatnot. And that all just kind of fell off. And then uh, I went to college. Um, I just went to Northeastern in Boston for a little while. And then I came back and finished up at FIU. And after what were you studying what was i studying yeah uh i i guess i wanted to be an attorney so i uh <laughs> I, I did a major in history because that's what i was told to do and then after i realized that i hate it i added a business minor and finished with a major in history minor in business and never went to law school did any of that right i had you know to me it was i i, I would have an issue reading a magazine 
<laughs> wow. let alone like thousands of books that you would read for all. So I ended up like getting, finishing my master's here at, at the executive MBA program at FIU actually. And as I was in the class, you know, I had been working for so many years at like an executive level and, you know, in our family business and whatnot. So a lot of times I, I kind of knew it was already going on in a sense. So like, guess what? I started doodling again. So I started doodling in my books, doodling on the notepad while the teacher was talking. Whatever. So you tend you tend to start doodling when you know something, where you kind of get bored or in, in either, a sense, right? Yeah, when either I don't know what's going on or I'm bored. <laughs> <laughs> One of the two. <laughs> of the two. So, I, um, so I ended up moving to downtown. This was my first place out of my parents' house. And... Um, it was towards the end and I ended up furnishing my, <laughs> furnishing my, uh, you know, my entire apartment, you know, I went to El Dorado, 0% financing right. for two yeah. years, <laughs> <laughs> not a plug. Yeah. Um, so I went there and, and I, you know, I, it was my first place. So I only had really money for a little bit of rent. And so I financed my furniture and whatnot. And then I realized when I was done, I had no money for art, you know, so all my walls were blank. <clears throat> so then that's when I was like, you know what? Like, I've always doodled on my stuff. Like, let me just go to the store. I'm going to buy a canvas. I'll buy some paint and I'll just paint what I want for my walls. So I ended up getting a canvas laying on the floor and I started doodling and, 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 you know, getting what I wanted as, as my painting. And I remember asking myself, I was or telling myself, I was like, you know what? This is horrible. You know, when you talk to people, they're like, oh, painting is so therapeutic. It's so relaxing. Like I was losing my mind. Like I would draw a line. It was just it, like things were it's not frustrating. It was super frustrating, like super frustrating. But I'm one of these guys that like when I, when I put my mind to something or <clears> I start something, I have to finish it. So after about two weeks, I finally finished this painting and I take it somewhere so they can like stretch it with the wood because I don't know how to do that yet. Right. So I go and I stretch it. And the guy asked me, he's like, you know, why, you know, do you have trouble painting this or something? Like he said something like that. And I was like, what do you mean? And he's like, well, you painted on the wrong side of the canvas. And then oh, I was like, wow. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Lesson one. Well, now, now, like, yeah, read the instructions. So you what happened was I had bought, I had bought a, a roll of canvas and one side was primed. The other side wasn't. So whenever I had gone to museums, you see these old paintings. It always looks like it's rough. a prime can look rough. Right. So I thought that's the side I got to paint on. So I put the prime side facing down. So what would happen is <laughs> I would put like an acrylic paint, like I would draw a line and then it would bleed. It just kept bleeding into the fabric. Oh, so wow. imagine you want to do a straight line and it ends up out here. Yeah. So that's what made it super frustrating. And then the paint ended up acting as like a primer. So as I kept adding more and more color, it acted as a primer. So I was actually able to finish the painting. But that was like the start of my like, oh, okay, now I got it. Let me go ahead and buy more canvases now, stretched, ready to go right. with the primes I'm facing out. And I fell in love. And I just, I started doing it more and doing it more. And like, I would literally go to the art store there's a store here in Biscayne called ID Art and the only yeah. good friend of mine. And so I would go there <clears throat> religiously. I would live right down the street and I'd be like, what does this brush do? What does this brush do? What does this brush do? Yeah, you got to know your tools, right? And exactly. kind of what, what it's used for and so forth. Let yeah. me ask you, who were your inspirations for your style? Like, you know, who were who the artists that you, you found fascinating? So a lot of the artwork I like or the artists I like are a lot of the more earlier Cuban artist. So I'm a big fan of like Gundo Bermudez. I'm a big fan of Emilia Pelayas. I'm a big fan of like Wifredo Lem. Um, 
you know, of course, Picasso. Um, so a lot of like this, the very Spanish Latin American artist I love. Um, <clears throat> but I would say where my style, I guess, kind of came from originally was I traveled a lot, you know, growing up with, with my parents all over the world. And uh, I used to love, I still love going into these giant cathedrals that you would see in these old towns. And with the stained glass and these giant stained glass windows where right. the light would come in and it would just electrify the room with color. So that's kind of where my style kind of like played on. It, it looked kind of like stained glass um, in the beginning. That's how I kind of started. It was, you know, a bunch of it, basically what I was trying to get was like I have a lot of stories in my head or, or, or stories in my life that I, I've always said, like, my art is like a bunch of puzzle pieces. Mm. You put all the puzzle pieces together, but when you're close, you just see a bunch of shapes. But when you step back, you start to see this artwork come to life. So I love that about stained glass. So I was like, okay, what's the closest thing I can do to a puzzle? Stained glass, same thing. It's a bunch of little shapes that when you step back, you see the big picture. Right. So I started with that and it was very clean. Like, and it's just, you know, just one brush to do my whole painting because I didn't know how else to do that. And then I started realizing that <clears throat> what if I could make stained glass move? You know, how how would that how would that mm. how would that make power look? Because you know, as a Latino, as a, you know, a person who is always very loud and dancing and loves music and all that stuff. Like, you know, I wanted to see my paintings move. Like I love stained glass, but it's very still. So then when I went to Barcelona for about a week and I met some people, some artists, I went over, just flew over there, stayed on their couch and they taught me how to do like graffiti and, and, and like actually like paint with spray cans, like correctly. And uh, these there's were, a correct, uh, gr correct way to spray paint the, graffiti. <laughs> well, well, you can see now in the, in the Miami walls, right? Yeah, there, well, there's there's a, there's a, there's a form to it. There's techniques. There's tough yeah. stuff. And these guys have been painting street art forever. You know, there's there's certain ways to do certain things and textures that you don't do with a paintbrush. It's just mm. different. So I started noticing that um, in Spain, all the parcianas, like the, the shutters in every single store at night, they close. And then it, the stores like allowed you to paint on these things, but it almost looked like kind of beautiful in a sense where it was like these, like these beautiful, just like lines of people writing their name, but it just, it wasn't, it didn't look like they were defacing stuff. It just looked like, like, it, like if it was dancing on the wall. So then that's where I, I got these ideas to add these movements to my painting and let my brush flow a little bit quicker and not be so perfect about it. Mm. And then that's when the style really started to like come to life and slowly evolve and evolve and evolve to where it is now. So how, how do you get a painting to look like it's moving? Technically, like how do you do that by, by so, those quick strokes? Yeah. So like, for example, if I were to get a paintbrush and draw a, a line from one end to the other, and it would take me, let's say, 10 seconds to get to their line, you would see the same streak thickness the whole way. If I get the same brush now and I get a thinner point and I swish my hand, you'll see where the pressure went down, where it's fat. Thicker. And then as it goes down to almost like a needle, like it right. just... And so... They almost like it's like if you were to throw a football in a cartoon, you see those like lines behind it or like a car moving. You see like the yeah, the streaks like yeah. if I were to describe it to, let's say, a blind person, it would sound like this. You see right. how it's heavy and then yeah, that's the kind of movement. So if you do mm. you make these movement lines that you so when you add when you have like still colors and like shapes that are like very formulated and then you have 
or going oh, around it. Oh, yeah, it kind of adds that. You can see how the painting starts to move. Wow. And so are there, you mentioned that th your paintings are like puzzle pieces. Yeah. Are there pieces of your life that are consistently seen throughout your paintings that you're always kind of including, or are they all kind of different stories and... Some, some, there's a lot of stories that the overall painting is about that. And then there's also some little things. So like I hide stuff in certain paintings and I don't tell anybody. I just, I, I, I hide them all in my stuff and see if anybody notices. And see if anybody notices. <laughs> it, it's, it's actually really funny. A, a, a few times I've done some paintings where, you know, a client will walk over to my house or, or my studio and they're like, man, I love this painting or this, let's say it's a butterfly. I love this butterfly you did. It's, you know, beautiful. He's like, I, I mean, like, I'm a big fishing guy and I love how you put the fish in the wing. And I'm like, what are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> what, what fish? I didn't put a fish in the wing. So it's, it's, it's interesting how people I interpret, people interpret certain things. And like, I, I see things my way because I, I painted them, but <laughs> it's, it's crazy how other people come in and they see totally different images. You know, like there was another piece that I did where this person emailed me and they're like, I saw this painting you did. There was a woman on each side and there was a man in the middle. Like, I really want that piece. Like, I just, I don't see it on your website. And I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I, th there's no piece that I have done. Cause like, I mean, I remember a lot of them, but I was like, there's no piece I've never done that. And he's like, and I'm like, listen, can you find it or send me a screenshot? He's like, yeah, I have it on my phone. So he sends it to me and I started dying laughing because I'm like, it's not a guy in the middle. It's a table. You know, it was like there was a woman on each side. It was like it was like good and evil. And then there was a table in the center. But after he said it, I was like, I could see how that could come off as being a guy in the center of the piece. So, right. so I, I love that. I love that people, uh, you know, interpret the works, you know, what from what I do. And then I and that's another reason why in about 99% of my paintings, if I do put a figure I tend to never put a face on it because even if I put like an eye or go like a Picasso S type of like abstract face, a lot of people, you know, I guess they, they look at the piece and they'll, they'll, they'll find it to be like, you know, a relatable thing. Right. But if there's no face on it, so let's say there's a ballerina that I paint and she has no face, like a mother might see herself or she might see her daughter, right? you know, like, so like, you kind of leave it, leave it for them to fill in the blanks to, you know, it's almost like a mirror. You let, let them put their own face in that piece. Kind oh, of thing. wow. So I love that. That's another way that I can connect with my, you know, I guess collectors or if you, if you will, or, or admirers of, of my work is that, you know, I like to leave it a little open and not so where they can connect to it as well on their own level. Yeah. And then you started getting into, aside from painting, then you start moving into sculptures as well, right? Yeah. And so how did, how did that happen? Because that's a whole different set of skills. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the funny thing about that was I, I mean, I love painting and, and, and it's, and I've gotten more comfortable with it. It just, it felt great. And my question I always asked myself was, you know, what would the back of my painting look like? So, you know, I, let's say mm. I, I had a woman sitting on a couch and she had a wine glass and, you know, and then it's like, I would fake, I'm always drawing everything in the 2d, you know? So it's, mm -hmm. it's, I'm like, what, what, man, it'd be so super cool to see like the, you know, like the maybe like the back, the view from the back, you know, whether it be, you know, the, the back of a couch or the, the back of the woman's head. So you could see her neck, you know, like certain little aspects yeah. that it's like, these are important items, but I can't portray that unless I literally got a canvas and another canvas and I sandwiched it and I hung it in the middle of a room. Or you can always paint in the back. That's not, that's not primed. <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> so there's that option. But 
So I started sculpting because I wanted to see what the back of my paintings would look like. So oh, wow. when I started doing that and I started sculpting, then, you know, I, I also I started thinking to myself, OK, we see what it looks like from the front. We see what it looks like from the back. But what are now from the sides? So 90 percent of the time when I do a sculpture now, I do it in a manner where from every angle, there's a different point of view. So I don't want you putting my sculpture in the corner of a house. I want you to put like it in somewhere, center, like somewhere in the center. People can walk around. So it. when you walk around, you're like, oh, my God, I didn't see that. You know, there's one particular piece that's coming to mind now where I did La Caridad del Cobre. And in the front, you have the Virgin Mary with the boat, etc. As you turn around the corner, her dress kind of overlaps and it starts to tuck itself in. And it actually is a conch shell coming off the side. Oh, wow. And then if you work away to the back. There's a set of hands like in a prayer motion that look like from the side, like if it's the back of the dress, but it's actually two hands together with a chain wrapped around the bottom of the wrist, you know, like, wow. And every single, so you see what I'm talking like you have four different, four different <clears throat> sculptures basically from every angle. Wow. That's powerful. Yeah. But how did, how did you learn? Did, did you take classes and like, how did you learn is how hard is it to sculpt and, and what material to use? So when I first started sculpting, I looked online everywhere for classes and I could not find anything. And mm. I remember being at lunch one day in, uh, I was in Miami lakes actually having lunch. And, uh, a friend of mine was like, you know, that it was like, or my dad's friend was like, Hey, you know, um, you should get into sculpting. And, and I'm like, man, I've been trying to, I just, I don't know how to even start because sculpting several years ago was like, you needed an oven, you needed this, you needed clay. It was like a whole procedure. Right. And as I learned, it's a, also a very drastic one. As far as if you don't know what you're doing, your, your sculpture will explode in the oven. Oh, really? So, yeah, I'll, to get, I'll tell you that. So um, so this guy introduced me to his sister, which it's been a while, but I think her name was Laura Luna. I think it was. She's, she's an artist as well. Um, and so I used to go to her house, and uh, she basically kind of started my sculpting career, if you will. So she mm. taught me the best way that I love to be taught, which is here's the clay. Here's the supplies. Call me if you have any questions. <laughs> so she would stand off in the corner doing her own sculpting. Yeah. And I would just get to work. Ba, 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 ba. And I was going there, I think maybe two or three times a week. I would just go to her house in her backyard and I would sculpt. Ba, 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 ba. So it's just basically starting with clay. I start and with you start clay. moving yeah. things around. You got some tools for yeah. it, but you're shaping with your hand as well. Uh, yeah. And, and with that type of clay, you know, with a, with a sponge, you can get some water and you can saw. And it was just, it's, it's, it's a beautiful process, but with that type of material, you know, let's say you finish your whole sculpture. Is it like, like the wow. same materials like in ghost? When there's yes, yes, yes. So <laughs> it's, it's, that, it's, that, it's, yeah, it's okay. that brown material. It's, it's the clay. So, what you do is you end up making this this sculpture and the part that's like so frustrating is like once you get done with it then you literally have to get a like what you see when they, like in these murder movies where they like tie something around a guy's neck like a wire with two pieces okay. of wood you have to get one of those and you literally cut your sculpture completely in half no way and then you have to like turn it on its side and hollow all of it out because if you don't hollow it out wherever there's anything like thicker than like, I think it's like 
don't quote me on this, but if I think if it's like half more than half an inch or something like that, if you put it of in the air, no, like if, a pocket, like, like let's say the thing is solid. Okay. And let's say a ball. I cut the ball in half. Yeah. Now I have to like hollow it out like a watermelon. Right. Right. You hollow it out and then you leave just the, the wall oh, of the watermelon. The so by doing that, when you put it in the oven, you can cook it and then it gets hard. Once it gets hard, then you take that to a foundry and you take your mold from that. And then you basically oh, do your sculpture. Got it. The problem is if you, let's say I'm doing an arm and I forget there's a little part inside and I didn't hollow it out enough. When I go to cook it, it'll explode. So imagine you work on this piece and you get it all done. Oh my then gosh. you got to chop it into sections. You got to hollow it out. You got to cook it and you got to put it all back together without it like deteriorating and squishing. Because imagine you have this big thing. Yeah, if yeah. you hollow it, it can collapse. So the new technology now is awesome because basically you get this, call it clay, and you put it like in a microwave and you just kind of get a little warmed up and you can do whatever you want. And then you can take a mold just straight from that. You don't have to hollow it. You don't have to cook it. You don't have oh. any of that. So you, you can take your mold from that. Then you can grab that same design you had and put it back in a, in a, in a microwave, let's say, and put it right back into the same ball and reuse it. So now you can recycle ah, clay. Interesting. Back with the way I was taught, you know, each clay model, yeah, the old school way, each clay model is, I still have them on my shelf because basically there's nothing you can do with it. It's orange, you know, like, like the pottery, it's yeah, orange yeah, yeah. like that. But once you take the molds and you go bronze and that, that'll last an eternity. Wow. So it's, oh my God. yeah, but I felt very, very comfortable <laughs> with the tools, I guess, because growing up, you know, my father's always, you know, we've, we've always have a manufacturing business. So. You know, my father's always taught me to work with my hands. And I guess with a paintbrush and having a steady hand, to me, sculpting became very natural to me. Right. And I love it. So I'm still what doing do you, it. What do you get out of it when when you're doing it? Because I think a lot of people, if you're if you're not excited about it, it can get frustrating quick. And yeah. or you'd lose patience because these things take a lot of time. I mean, what, how much time does it take you to do a typical painting or a sculpture? So that information... It's hard to give an answer because, I mean, if I'm being honest, yeah, there, do it when you're inspired. Well, I have to be inspired, number one. But number two, some paintings or some sculptures take a very long time. Some of them are very quick. But the problem is, is that in this day and age, if a lot of people associate time with money, with value, right? With value. So, it took for them example, two months or three months to do this or a year. Yeah. But let's say I have a painting. Let's say I'm charging $10,000 for this painting. But it only took me two and a half hours. So if I someone says, "Oh, yeah, how long did it take you to do this painting?" and I tell them two and a half hours, they're gonna be like, "Come on, bro, why, why, why are you ten thousand dollars?" But just like that Picasso quote, it's you're not paying for my time now. You're paying for the, the, the twenty years the 20 of years experience, of experience that it's like to the, get you to do that. Like these tech companies where the guy pushes a button and charges you ten thousand bucks. He's like, "Yeah, but I knew a button to push." Yeah, you know, exactly. That kind of stuff. So I hate giving times mm -hmm. of how things take. So, you know, does it take an hour? I don't know. Maybe. Does it take two weeks, three weeks? I, I don't know. You know, when I'm done with the piece, I hand it over to you and, you know, that's it. But, and that's the reason why it's, it's society has made it where like you can't be real as far as how long things take because mm -hmm. I might work quick. And, and the way I describe it to people is like this. Let's say I tell you that this painting took five hours. Oh man, five hours. You know how many things you can do in five hours? In five hours, you can drive from here to like Jacksonville or whatever. <laughs> right. You can let, if let's say you were nonstop typing 
for five yeah. hours. You can write one of those Lord of the Rings books. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so people, what, what happens is a lot of people associate five hours with like, yeah, like half, half a day, yeah, yeah, like half I a work go day. And then I have like a cigarette break or coffee, like, you know, like, yeah, or yeah. they go for lunch. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like the, the, people always think of time being cut. Like if their own work schedule, right. like, oh, I was on the phone, I was on Facebook for an yeah. hour. Like they don't realize that in five hours of nonstop work, you can get a lot done. Right. You know, and, and with me is I'm, I'm one of these painters that like when I start on a piece, I don't like to like sit back and like enjoy a glass of wine. What like I like when I'm in my zone, you're, you're I don't, it hard. Yeah, I yeah. want to hit it hard until I'm like tired. Once I start to get tired and my body hurts from standing or working solo, that's when I'll put the paintbrush down because I don't want to take away from the quality of the work that I'm doing because I'm exhausted. And yeah. I don't want to cut any corners because I'm exhausted. But I'd rather if I'm in the zone stay in my 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 thing stay in my bubble have my music on no one interrupt phones on silent kind of thing like right. until i'm tired and then i stop for the day and then i go to sleep and then the next day if i'm inspired <clears throat> to get back on that same piece i will but i try to cut the pa the painting into stages so maybe the first day maybe i'll sketch it or you know maybe put some lines of the idea i had then i leave the second day I have something to do. Yeah, come and back I, fresh. And... Yeah, because if I try to do it all in one day, yeah, I can probably do it. But as a, towards the end, like I said, I start to get tired. My wrist starts to hurt. Like mm -hmm. it just, you know, it takes a toll on your body when you're like shifting your hand all over the place. Is there <laughs> is there a time of day or night that you usually find yourself in that in that groove in that state? So it's weird um sometimes you know i'll wake up like saturday morning and like i'm like oh man i'm just gonna relax and i'll lay on the couch and then something hits me and i'm like oh, i'm gonna paint. i gotta go do like, it so i go and i start painting and then but typically i would say on average that my painting time is anywhere between starts around 4 4 30 p.m yeah and I usually paint till about like 10, 11 o'clock at night. Wow. Like I, I like that little window um, because I like having a day job. I hate like the stereotypical like, oh, I'm a struggling artist. And basically, you know, I, 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 I paint till 3, 4, 5 in the morning. And then I wake up the next day and I'm a zombie. And like, yeah, I, I've never been that kind of guy. I've always had, I've always played sports or been up super early. So like, imagine I wake up at 6 in the morning so and get my sunrise. I go paddle boarding. What am I going to do the rest of the day? Like, I can't paint every single day yeah, because, yeah. again, I don't like forcing it. I like to paint when I'm inspired. So what I do. I go to the office, you know, we have that metal, the manufacturing company. So I go there, I do what needs to be done. And then I come home, spend a little bit of time with my son. And then I go to paint. Then you hit it. And then I hit it. And, but, yeah. And then at that point, you know, my wife, you know, she can take him to the park and, and, and or she does her thing and, and I can stay there uh, un like bothered because right. again, during the hours of like, call it real working hours, People are constantly emailing, sending like it's just it's frustrating, and, and and or I have a lot of conference calls and yeah. during that time, so I like to have that period of time where I'm not interrupted. Yeah, so, it's almost like a meditative state, exactly. right, where you're kind of just locked into the zone and and so forth. So, well, man, that's that's amazing. So you you're doing a lot of a lot of very cool work, very unique. Um, if you haven't seen it yet, you can check them out at uh, Mihades on on Instagram. You can see him there. Where else can they catch you? Mihades.com. 
is my website or if not facebook same thing mihadis facebook slash facebook.com slash mihadis <laughs> everything to, is mihadis mihadis everything you can find them there well check it out brother thank you so much for being on game changers man you're doing some some very cool stuff guys thank you so much for joining us you can catch us each and every week here on your on your favorite podcast channel uh, if you enjoyed this episode, please make sure to share it and like and subscribe so you don't miss uh, an episode when it comes out. Make sure to share it so you, so uh, everyone can see uh, Alex's work. Thank you so much, guys. Be a game changer, not only in your life, but in the lives of others today. All right. Thanks a lot. If you loved what you heard in today's episode of Game Changers, please subscribe and rate us. The lessons and the stories in these podcasts are immensely valuable. So I invite you to share them with a friend who needs to hear it you may end up being the game changer in their lives.